Hey everyone, this is Will. A uh, couple things before we start this episode. Uh, the episode that you'll be hearing today can also be viewed on YouTube. Did you know that we've been doing a weekly live show on YouTube? We have. Wednesday nights at 9.30 p.m. on Osiris's YouTube channel. Do a search for Godween Evan on YouTube to find it. We've done like nine episodes already. We had a Friends episode where we had like 20 of you guys all on a Zoom call with us. We've done episodes with Evan. We've done episodes with Sarah. We've done episodes with Evan and Sarah. And we've also done uh, two interviews, one with Eric Slick from Dr. Dog, which was the last episode, and this week's episode, which is an episode with Hank Steamer. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, also, I would like to tell you about our sponsor, Harry's Razors. If you go to harrys.com slash ween, you can sign up for a trial set of Harry's Razors delivered to your doorstep. Harry's is a, re- is a return to the essential quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. They've cut out the middleman manufacturing blades in their German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century. German blade factory. God damn, I'd watch that movie. Um, did you know I shaved my head? Yeah, I shaved my head because the only thing I can control in my life anymore was my hair. And I shaved my entire hair down with a Harry's.com razor. I got it from harrys.com slash ween. So if you want to control your life by shaving your head, go to harrys.com slash ween. If you just want to clean up your face, harrys.com slash ween. If you're like my wife, you could steal my blade and use it to shave your legs. And you know what she said? Best leg shaving experience she's ever had. Go to harrys.com slash ween. And now to today's episode where me and Paul interview the one, the only Hank Steamer. Do you recognize that name? Hank Steamer is a rock, uh, is a Rolling Stone uh, magazine senior editor, and he's known in the ween, ween, <laughs> and he's known in the ween world as the man who literally wrote the book on ween. The thirty-three and a third book series on chocolate and cheese was written by Hank Steamer, and he's going to talk about it all in this episode. And now, listen as producer Mikey brilliantly audio edits this monologue into the live show. Ooh, good job, producer Mikey. Can you taste the waste? Another edition of God, Ween, Evan on the Infernet. Uh, I am Paul Gakowski, uh, as always, uh, is uh, with the man on my left in my square, in my box, in my heart, Will Nanziata. Oh, thanks, buddy. Uh, hey, lock the gates. Uh, we have another, uh, another interview today. It's been a while since I uh, copied Mark Marin. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, so, we're, uh, so we're God, Ween, Evan. For those of you who are uh, joining us, uh, to see or hear Hank Steamer. Uh, we're going to bring him on in just a moment. Uh, but if you've never heard of our show, if you're tuning in for the first time, God We Evan is a podcast. Uh, we're on the Osiris Media uh, podcasting uh, network. And it started as uh, myself, Will, another one of our friends, Katie Hartman, all lifelong diehard Ween fans. 
And we had a friend named Evan, uh, who in, in kind of casual conversation uh, over the years, it became clear that he didn't like Ween and he should have liked Ween because he was yeah. funny, he's, uh, he's charming, he has a great sense of humor, uh, he loves music, and he just, he kept, he had this kind of rigid, uh, death grip-like uh, uh, grasp on his distaste for Ween, which mm -hmm. we, we would learn uh, came from childhood trauma, self-inflicted. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, we have spent the last 17 years. Yeah, that's <laughs> what it feels like. Trying to get him to like Ween. And we kind of did. If you're tuning in for the first time, listen to the first season. Great. It's great. Everything after that, you know, take or leave. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, over the, and so over the last couple, uh, over the last year, we've started doing these interviews. Will, do you want to talk about these interviews? Yeah, we've been uh, finding uh, everybody that's connected to the Ween world in some way. We interviewed it, uh, interviewed it, all right. We interviewed, we interviewed it, we interviewed it in <laughs> lots of people. Yeah, I've uh, been quarantined for too long. Uh, uh, Kirk Miller, uh, uh, their longtime sound engineer. Uh, Chris uh, Tomato Hoffernus from Sound of Urchin. We've interviewed uh, Ashton Freeman. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we interviewed Eric Slick from Dr. Dog. Uh, you interviewed today, Ben Vaughn. Ben oh, Vaughn. Oh my God, Ben Vaughn. Uh, which was one of my favorite. That's my favorite. Uh, Will, that's my favorite episode of God We Know. Just, uh, I want you thanks. to Thanks. Know yeah. Thank you very much. I was very nervous for that for that one. Uh, and today, um, we are interviewing somebody that it was probably the first person that I reached out to, like three or four years ago. Way too soon in our podcast to start <laughs> looking for guests. Uh, and uh, I interviewed. Uh, we were looking for. Uh, the one, the only Hank Steamer who wrote the book on Ween. Uh, and it took uh, a quarantine, but we got him. Uh, and we're going to chat Ween. We're going to chat uh, uh, music. We're going to chat rock and roll. We're going to chat Rolling Stone. Uh, it's going to be great. Yeah, so uh, let's, uh, let's go. Bring him in. Bring him in, yeah. yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll put your hands together for Hank Steamer. Hey, guys. Bud. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to God We Heaven. Thanks for doing this, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no problem. Thanks a lot for having me. It's a good night. It's a nice uh, distraction with everything going on. Yeah. That's really um, what this whole, our whole podcast yeah. is. That's a distraction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Hank, I actually have, I want to start with a question that you've been asking uh, some of the musicians that you've been interviewing uh, uh, in your Rolling Stone pieces of late. What are you doing with your unexpected time home? Man, uh, that's a good question. Um, well, um, a few things. Um, so, a few, okay, so I, I took up guitar, I'd say, like, uh, about two and a half years ago. Mm. Um, and uh, so, I've been, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been playing a lot. Also, also, I have this, like, you know, this, this is sort of too much information, but I have this, like, hip injury ongoing that, that I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm a drummer of, like, 25 years. But the, uh, the hip injury is preventing me from doing much exercise, doing much drumming, doing much anything like that. So it's kind of like the, the options are kind of whittled down. So it's more it's it's more the guitar and I'm 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 playing. I you know, I I took a video lesson the other night, um, you know, just just kind of like trying to stay busy with that when I can. And then, you know, you know, my girlfriend and I were, you know, cooking and, you know, we we. Um, Bought this big puzzle that we've been doing. We, we you know, the other night, the other night, I was, I, I, I find myself doing like very cliched, like decompression, decompression type activities. Like we were doing a puzzle and like listening to the dead, um, which it's not necessarily like. Can like I, I come? I, can I come over? Or do you guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah, I, I, I realized I had a, I had a um, copy of that, that famous May 77 dead box, which like, I'm a, I'm a, I like the dead. I, you know, I feel like I'm one of the rare, like, cause most people are like, Oh, I can't stand them or I, or I'm obsessed with them. And I'm like, I, I like them, you know, I'm, I, I you know, I, you know, the, the, the five or 10 shows I've heard or records I've heard, I really like, but I haven't gone super deep. So I just decided to pull out that May 77 box and, it's been nice just to kind of like zone out on that. I started watching the documentary and I'm reading the book that came with the 77 box, which was like a one book just about that Cornell show, which is kind of crazy. Um, so yeah. those are, I guess, some of the things I'm starting up with, you know, that doc uh, is, uh, yeah. that doc is pretty serious. It's a pretty serious. I watched it like pretty much I mean, how many, it's a, how many hours is it? It's super long. The long strange trip one. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, it's incredible. There's, I don't know, if, I don't want to spoil it. There's a part I wept like a child. There's a part about deaf concert goers. Uh, uh, do you have you gotten to that part yet? No, no. I, I'm probably okay. honestly like I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to spoil it. But it's yeah. there's there's a be prepared uh, to cry. Yeah, yeah, I cry. I'm an easy cry, but I. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned puzzles. I'm actually uh, we're at my parents' house in Jersey, and my wife oh. and I. And like the my my dad's a big puzzler, and he's got this. He actually bought a big like felt. It's like it looks like a pool table kind of, but it's for yeah, puzzle. puzzle table. He's got a right. puzzle table, and it's got a lazy Susan. I mean, this is fucking serious puzzling. That's intense, yeah. yes. And yeah. and he's got and he was doing this like you know thirty thousand. I don't know how many pieces are on this thing. It's it's actually mo- it's all mollusk themed. It's all it's all like sea. Uh, oh wow. Yeah, and um, like the the I don't know like the seventh day we were here. My wife had a bit of a breakdown just about like everything that was happening. And she kept bump it was right on like the 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 living room table. She kept bumping it and like hitting the lazy Susan. And she finally, in the middle of the night, she woke up in the middle of the night. She doesn't sleep great. She was just like started cleaning and she came and she just took the fucking table and dumped the whole puzzle like yeah. back in the box and moved the table into the basement. And like at least four or five times since that, since March 13th, my dad has asked about, hey, have you guys been working on the puzzle? <laughs> I was yeah. like, don't have the heart to tell them it's in a box. So, Hank, um, where are you from? Uh, how'd you get your start? Let's 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 start a little bit at, uh, at the beginning. I'm from I'm from Kansas City. Uh, I'm I'm from I'm from a suburb of Kansas City, Missouri, that happens to lie in Kansas. It's kind of confusing because the state Ooh. line the state line is like in the middle of the in the middle of town, so you would kind of be in both states. But yeah, Kansas City, basically. Um, uh, which side of Kansas City is better, the Missouri side or the Kansas? City? <laughs> well, when people talk about Kansas City, they're mainly talking about Kansas City, Missouri. Um, that's like the bigger, more well-known city. Um, but yeah, is that I'm, where the Royals and the Chiefs are? Yeah, it's all that. Yeah. yeah, but 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 yeah, I'm 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 just from a pretty fairly generic suburb. You know, probably not that different than suburbs a lot of other places. But yeah, that's yeah. that's where I'm from. Grew up there. Yeah. And what made you? What started you on your journey to become? Senior music editor at Rolling Stone. Um, well, I guess you know music was just always sort of an obsession. Um, you know, I, well, I, I mean, I, you know, I went I went through a few things. You know, you're, you're young and you go through different little phases. Um, I was definitely you know super into you know whatever it was like dinosaurs and then video games and then like pro wrestling and all this stuff you go through in your kid. But I feel like at a certain point, like in maybe around. 12 13 like music sort of took hold and kind of like pushed all other interests to the side um i had friends who were playing music like as as teenage 
teenagers, uh, you know, they were like already very accomplished guitar players and, you know, and, and then sort of like this kind of metal thing started to happen. Like I was, when I was really young, I was into, you know, Def Leppard and Guns N' Roses and Poison. Do you have a, like you have a classic rock Christmas or, or holiday? I feel like everybody has, it was like when you're like 12 or 13, you get like Electric Ladyland and the, and the Doors double disc. You know, it's yeah. funny because it's funny because my my musical like engagement was very backwards, like classic rock. You know, my parents played me the Beatles and stuff. But to be honest, like I was uh, just backwards with all of it. I, I got very into hair metal when that was happening. Um, and then Metallica, the, the, the Metallica, the Black Album, you know, 91 was like, I guess I was I would have been 13. And that was that was when it turned into something different. That was when it like sort of yeah. just took over my life. And you know, I can remember like walking around. You know, you used to have those Discman CD Walkman things, and a little case where it fit like five or six CDs. And I would just walk around. It was only like the five at the time Metallica CDs. Um, so metal just became like this big thing. My friends were getting into playing metal and punk. You know, and just sort of get you know. I basically sort of in high school just moved sequentially through like the heavier and heavier stuff. Like I got, you know, pretty quickly from like Metallica, you know, then, then all the grunge stuff started to happen, but I got very into like, it, within a couple of years, I was into like death metal. Um, Ooh, like Cannibal was, Corpse? Yeah, like Cannibal yeah. Corpse, Morph Angel, Deicide, Obituary. Um, and then, you know, I mean, then... The All the other fonts that you can't read. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. dozens of other bands. You know, that was just like, like I kind of was just kept looking for the next most ex extreme thing or something. And then, you know, I got into a lot of, there was a lot of uh, indie noise rock, you know, post-hardcore, all kinds of stuff happening around Kansas City and the Midwest. Um, and I got super into a lot of that more, stuff that I could go see and there would be like 20 people at the show. It was more of like a DIY kind of vibe, but it was all like heavy. You know, I was very into the, like the heavy stuff. And then did, you know, did any of those bands, uh, sorry, did any of those bands from that time, uh, make it? Well, I, I, you know, I think that's kind of a relative, a relative term. I'm I mean, sure. some of these bands were, yeah, like, you know, it was, it was kind of these bands that might've had like one album on a major label. There was a band from Kansas city called season to risk. That was, you know, they had like one album on, on like a, I think it was a co-release of Columbia or something, but yeah, mm -hmm. like it, it was, it was a lot of pretty, like, you know, some, some bands that would be on like Discord, like Fugazi's label, you know, I got really into that stuff. It's just like those exploring the whole, you know, Jesus Lizard, just the whole, it was kind of like the metal stuff over here and then being like, oh, well, there's a lot of heavy stuff that's not necessarily quote unquote metal, but it's just as intense if you go see it live and you can right. go see that stuff in the early nineties in like a small club. And I got super into that. And I also started playing drums around that time, kind of self-taught, kind of with pointers from my friends. But, you know, the, the, I guess it was one of these things where it's like the music obsession started then. And it just sort of like, even though I was doing different stuff, it just sort of never stopped. And then like when I got to college, uh, I went to Columbia and they had, they, they have a really good jazz station. Um, mm. And I had been sort of into jazz and, it, and there at Columbia, I got, super into that, that sort of like wow. I kind of fell down that rabbit hole um, because it was just a real good place to like educate myself and like you could sort of walk through the stacks and um, hundreds of LPs and I you could check stuff out and you know there was a lot of like this this guy Phil Schaff who's one of the world's 
foremost like Charlie Parker experts. He had like the show uh, after me. Um, so it was kind of just like, and, and you know, the metal stuff never stopped or, or anything. That was all always there. But I just got, you know, I just kind of fell super into that jazz stuff. And I feel like I was relating to it because, you know, been a drummer, you know, both those kinds of music, like there's a high premium on, you know, great drummers in both styles, like a high premium placed on just like, you know, getting super into how the, you know, how different musicians sound and how they work together. You know, I, I never really thought of it that differently. It was more like, you know, if I like the Jesus Lizard and I like the way that like the rhythm section of the Jesus Lizard sounds, it wasn't that different than I like the way the rhythm section of this Miles band sounds, you know, it was kind of yeah. like, um, it was kind of like, I just, I just liked great players and whatever medium, you know what I mean? Um, and, you know, the, like I, I was writing a little bit like in, you know, like kind of these middle school paper things. I, I wasn't writing that seriously in high school. And then like starting around college, I, I started to, I guess I started to get some like freelance gigs or something. I was, I was writing for uh, just different jazz websites. The, the sort of the jazz scene that I was involved in is very like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like two weeks before you felt like you sort of met all these different people in that scene. There was kind of this, there was a scene, there was a uh, festival called the vision festival happening in New York that still goes on. But, mm -hmm. you know, I bought through the station. I volunteered at that met a lot of people and was just sort of meeting different people in that jazz community, finding out there were small publications that needed people to go out and review shows and stuff. So that kind of started happening from there. And then from there I started writing, I started pitching places like the all music guide, you know, like allmusic.com. Um, mm -hmm. At that time, they were allowing, you know, they, they kind of, you could, you could, you could pitch them as a freelancer and be like, and be like, I want to review such and such record that's not in your database. And, you know, and, and you could get, get paid to do that. Um, right. Which was incredible. Um, you know, different stuff like that. You know, there's a, there's a publication called All About Jazz, um, you know, publication called signal to noise this is all like in college and like the couple years after college you know just finding you out who around was, were you sticking around in new york after after columbia yeah i never left so i got here i got here in 1998 and i have not i've, I've you know i go home to see my family and stuff but i've never lived anywhere else since yeah you know for the past yeah i guess like 20 around 20 years or, or yeah. More. yeah it makes me think so, of like yeah. when, you're, when you're talking about like that that intersection between like jazz and or just like noise too and like I, it makes me think of like like seeing john zorn uh, like tonic or something back in the or yeah. like uh like or like the opening drums for uh tortoise standards on like yeah that just like just like it's like that it, it's like it's not met you know it's not metal but it still has that same like there's just a fucking driving energy to it or just a noise that like you kind of drowned yourself out in well, I think too, I think too, and maybe this wasn't happening so much at the time, but I think now, you know, it's like, I, I'm sort of a, like a, I feel like sort of my tastes are kind of old school in the sense that like, I, I still, I think having grown up in the era, in the era of like, you know, my friends playing in this almost like garage band and, you know, like I still you know, and I'll probably always be oriented this way, even though I like a lot of electronic music and all different types of stuff like that. But like in general, my, my orientation towards like musical aesthetics or something, it's really oriented around like bands. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, and, 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 and I'm not trying to make some like hierarchy about like, you know, like a person playing electronic music is not, is like somehow a, like not on the same level or something, but it's just like my own engagement with music. It seems to really gravitate towards like bands. You know what I mean? And like, 
and it's not as much genre specific, but I like, you know, this person has this sound, this person has this sound, and they're interacting to create this like organism of, you know, um, you know, like we were talking about the dead before or something like that. It's like, I, I like the idea of this band as like a collection of musical personalities that fits together. And like, that's a constant yeah. through any kind of jazz and any kind of rock, whether it goes back you know, to puzzles, you know, it's it, it, when it connects perfectly like a puzzle, yes. man, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I love like, bands. Yeah. I love bands that have like, and they have like, like that's a lot of times where the players even seem like strange bedfellows. In yeah. some ways, like in going back to the dead, I mean, like Pigpen and the Dead, yes. or like you know that you get. I feel like you get guys that just like they don't. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't look like they would necessarily walk down the street together, but you put them in the same room and they create something. You know? Yeah, it's super. It's super weird. Yeah, like I was watching some video. I think the Dead has been putting up these videos of them um, during the quarantine. They're putting up some old live videos. There's one of them, and I think it was '72, like the B Club in Germany. Yeah, the and one I, from this last. It was the one they did this past Friday. Yeah. Yeah, I just threw that on, and I was just like, I mean, I could not take my eyes off Phil Lesh. I was like, man, that guy is just like, what a what a <laughs> yeah. character, and like, yeah. what a strange presence. You know, I just, I really, I love the like. To me, I kind of have this thing about like people talk about like. I don't know. This is kind of like a. I'm, I'm probably getting way off the ween topic, but like, like we got I, I have I'll get this you idea, back. Don't worry. I have this idea of like this idea of like punk or something. Like people often think of it as like a genre, and like thinking about you know they they because I'm super into a lot of like real slick music, like whether that's like Steely Dan or a lot of like jazz fusion stuff, and also super punk like raw, like you know whether that's like the Stooges or the Misfits or you know on down the line. And like, to me, like, I, 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 I sort of developed this idea of like punk as a thing of like, when I think about it in my head, I just think about someone being like super themselves. You know what I mean? 100%. Like, like, I don't really, and, 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 if, and, if, and if being yourself means to be like, to be like Jocko and, 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 and you're like, just like, absolutely just like, you know, like massacring your instrument and just sort of like, if, if virtuosity is you, and that's how you can like best, you know, tackle, you know, music or combat music, or that's what speaks to you. Then that's like, and, and, you know, so to me, like Steely Dan is like more punk than like a generic punk band. Do you know what I'm saying? Because totally. it's like to, to them, you know, the ultimate, like, I, I always say this, like, I like music that just goes really far in whatever direction it chooses to go in. And 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 what and 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 without judging what direction that might be, you know what I'm saying? Like like it's like, you know, whether that's like, you know, Steely Dan on one hand, or you know, there's there's this sort of black metal band called Revenge, which is sort of like the most kind of like grotesque, blown out, just like like, um, just it's just kind of like vile sounding music, you know? It's just it's yeah. super, it's like nihilistic in its in its objectives, you know. And so, you know, and whether that, you know, like I listen to a lot of like, you know, lately I've been listening to a ton of Pat Metheny, like just getting super, <laughs> super into that. And like, to me, like, you know, there's kind of like this glossiness to some of that and, and you know, verging on what some people might even call like smooth jazz or something. But to me, he's like, he's such like a punk figure because it's like, he just sort of does what he pleases. And like, that might be, you know, he's got the record with Ornette Coleman, which is like super kind of like, you know, very kind of like out there and off the wall. And some of the stuff is very, you know, placid and just sort of like, gore you know, gorgeous. And I don't know, I just, I like these musicians who are just like, 
I, I guess I just like, I don't think of things in terms of um, the style. You know what I mean? It's more right. just like, the, what, what is like the spirit coming? Because there's so much, you know, be, like being a person who really likes metal, there's a ton of metal that it doesn't, it doesn't have that like, there's some kind of spark that has to have. Like, yeah, it's, it's metal for metal's sake, as opposed yeah. to this is what I wanted to create. Right, yeah. and people get in this thing of like, oh, I'm a doom metal band, or I'm a like, like get super into the subgenre thing, and it's like, it's it's I don't know. Like, I I was watching a live stream earlier today of Crowbar, who's one of my favorite metal bands. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them, like this New Orleans metal band, um, and and they just they they just they're very like soulful, emotional, sort of like you know, there's just a great sense of like catharsis with their music. And like they just they just happen to like speak to me, but there's a lot of bands in there kind of like subgenre. That, you know, people sometimes call them like doom metal or sludge metal or things like that. And it's like I don't really like I do gravitate towards certain styles of music, but like I, I would never like something because it's that. It has to have like that underneath the thing. there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like well, yeah, I like yeah, I love the idea of like uh, of punk being somewhat like synonymous with like truth or just like if punk, yeah, the idea right. of punk was to cut through bullshit, you know, if like yeah. punk was like it was a rejection of bullshit, then like that or pretense, then like, then, then yeah, Steely Dan is punk. It's, you know, it's like, if, because, because punk, if, it's, if it's, yeah, if it's, yeah, I love that idea. I think because punk really- itself, like, it's like, if you think about like, like, you know, these like, you know, nth generation bands who sound like bad religion or something like that. And it's like, it's like the copy of a copy of a copy of a punk band is that is that is that rebelling against anything? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's and the same thing with the metal band who you know the guys getting up with like the leather and the spikes like 35 years after Slayer like was truly, truly shocking. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it, it, it you know it it, it it and so you know I, I I kind of I find myself like pulling in a lot of different directions musically because it's like I don't want to hear that like copy of a copy of a copy thing. You know what I mean? Because that that it, and I, I I'm very wary of that idea that like somehow these genres are like, like you can't just like, you know, put on the, a costume of a genre and like act like you're like embodying what what it meant to see like Black Flag or the Dead Kennedys or Minor Threat or, you know what I mean? Like this stuff is yeah. really kind of sacred and you're, and you're doing it a disservice by like, you know, like someone like Ian MacKay or something like that, where it's like, you know, to say like, well, okay, we did Minor Threat and, you know, we gotta we gotta move ahead. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like 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 Fugazi, it's like the ultimate like like what even is that band? You know what I mean? Like it's like you know it, it like it's so free. You know what I mean? It's so free, and 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 so many of those other people from that sort of hardcore era. It's like 40 years later, they're they're kind of still just in that. Yeah, they haven't know, grown. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? And like like so, I just I find that inspiring. Where it's like these people like who are like. And it's really rare people who can really like make a mark in multiple different. Yeah, you know, I love areas. the records. Well, but I love the records he still put the Evans records, like the more sparse, like melodic, are like. Awesome. Oh yeah, I love those records. Yeah, just just awesome. Yeah, and I mean he's clearly just like yeah, super engaged. Like that new project he's got, this Koriki thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like yeah, I don't know. I I. I I guess I was just trying to like tie a thread together between all this different stuff that might seem different, but to me it's, I just, I just don't, I'm just looking for something that feels like very, like you said, just, just feels true to me and not making like a value judgment about anyone else's taste, but just like what I, I don't know, there's some common root thing that I'm looking for. And that kind of relates to this podcast, this heavy metal bebop thing that, 
So, and we're going to get into that, but Hank, how old were you uh, when you discovered Ween? Where were you in your life? I was, um, I was, uh, let's see, uh, it would, would, would have been Pure Guava, uh, which I think maybe came out in 92. Yeah, 91, uh, 92, yeah. I, yeah, so I was about 14. Um, my friend, uh, like, real close friend of mine then, and, and you know, we're, we're not as close now, but just sort of like, we were sort of bonded for life because of our, you know, common adolescence. My friend Adam, uh, Adam Galbloom, um, he he had the Pure Guava CD, and it was also around the time when weed was sort of coming into the picture for our group of friends. Like, I, you know, it was like that all checks out. Yeah, Adam Adam had a unique. Well, I don't I don't really want to get too into it, but let's just say that at his house things were a little bit less supervised than they were at mine. Yeah, uh, there's always that one basement. There's some kids got the basement that no one. Well, it was in this case, it was the it was the upstairs. Or, yeah, uh, right. but yeah, it was for all intents and purposes that. But but I guess um, what I mean to say is that that it was you know that that was possible. It was possible to go up there and have this sort of like I I almost feel like I had like what would have been like not that different than like someone's experience in like. Uh, the late 60s or early 70s when you're just kind of sitting around stoned listening to music which and then wh- and then white rabbit comes up yeah it was what i'm saying it's like it, 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 it like this was happening in 1992 but it's probably not that different than what my parents were experiencing you know in college in like 1970 or something like that like you know it was very innocent it was like we would sit up in his room and we would play mortal combat 2 and we would smoke weed, and we would have pure guava on. And at first, I want to go there too. Like I want to yeah, hang out yeah. with that. Yeah. It was just like it was just kind of like what better way to discover ween? What be- better way to discover pot? Uh, you know, it was just like we were just you know, and and I distinctly remember that the stallion part three was. Um, uh, Sorry, I was looking at this question over here. Is that is that Wolves in the Throne Room that the person's asking about? Um, w I T T R. I think it's Wolves in the Throne Room. Um, I do like them, but I don't know them as well, and I'm not as versed in in the black metal scene. But yes, cool band for sure. Um, anyway, sorry. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so so Stallion Part Three. That what I have a distinct memory of that. You know, the obviously the the iconic moment of the hey hey dude, he's a stallion or yo dude. just just the just the like when when you're 14 and you're high and you're with your friends and you hear that that like it was it it was just like like i i you know i i've laughed very hard in my life many times in many circumstances but it's hard to like. It's hard to put into words how hard we were laughing at that. My friend mm-hmm. Adam would like. He would like mouth it out when it was. He would we kept rewinding it and hey dude, you know he would he would <laughs> kind of act it out. And I mean, it's just like the 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 like hilarity of that in that setting. I I will I will probably never forget that. You know what I mean? It yeah. was just like. What a great, so, what a great memory to have forever. Yeah, like like we were you know we were we were we were just high and we were listening to Ween. And we were probably just doing not that different than what Aaron and uh, Mickey were doing when they made it, which is just like making people, making each other laugh. Um, yeah. Just kind of wasting time, fucking around, you know. Um, 
you know, and, and you know, the truth of the matter is, is like, like I, I remember seeing Push the Little Daisies like on MTV and stuff like that. But at the time when I was a kid, like that, it was really pure guava. You know what I mean? Like I, I had it and, and I was into it, but I was, again, I was real stuck in this metal thing. I was very serious and kind of into this like darker, you know, like, like Ween was kind of like the, you know, we would get high and listen to that, but it, it I wasn't like a, um, I didn't go all the way into it then. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I did not have like, I didn't have like the mollusk. I did buy chocolate and cheese when it came out, but I don't think at the time I bought, I think, I don't think I bought the mollusk or the later ones. And I think that I only caught up with that stuff later. So there were these multiple phases, but that was the, the phase one was definitely like getting high, listening to Pure Guava, laughing our asses off at the Stallion Park 3. Like that was the, like, the key is like some of those great memories are with a friend. And like when you could make like a bit of a song, like an inside yeah. joke. Oh yeah. Especially between like two dudes, like like it's it there's there's nothing like tighter yeah, than no, you I know mean, that yeah. kind of moment. Well, because that's like the moment when you're like DNA is being formed in terms of like your tastes and your you know just your excitement about music and your uh, you know it's just like things are you're so impressionable at that time and I you know again like they always say I just feel like so many of so many of my tastes and values in terms of what I look for and you know music and things like that were so much of that was imprinted between like 14 and 16 you know all that stuff the kind of the Metallica and all the death metal stuff, like that's all happening between like 13 and 16, you know? Yeah, they um, say like you, you finish your taste by the time you're like 23. It's like 14 to 23. And then like, and that sets you up for life on what you... Yeah, I, I like, I, I, I definitely, like I definitely move into new areas, but there's a core of that that's just never going to change. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I can't pretend that, you know, I can't pretend that I grew up, you know, a different way you know what i'm saying like i'm always going to be oriented towards the like like i said like the I, you know i want to hear I, i'm really into like i want to hear a drummer and a bass player and a guitar player like it's just that's just how i that's just like how it all came together for me so so i i, I i'll you know extend from there but i'm i'm always going to have that kind of baseline well, you know? hank let's jump into the book there's there's your first line <laughs> right there um uh, how did uh, you become the guy that wrote the chocolate and cheese book? Did you well, pitch the, it? Did someone seek you out? How does that work? Well, yeah, the, the, just, just to be clear, the, the 33 and third books, which I, I parenthetically, I, I believe there's a, a call out for pitches now if people are interested in that and, in, in, you know, delving into that series. But the way the series works is pretty simple. They just have these open calls for pitches. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's basically just like, you know, the, the process I think changes each time, but essentially it's basically just like, you know, write us a proposal saying like what album you want to write about, what, what approach you would take to it, you know, and, and, and if you've read any of the other ones, every, almost every single one has a different kind of like approach. Some of them are almost more like little memoirs. I think John Darnielle even that's, did one that was- That's the one that always sticks out to me. That's yeah. my, it, it's, it's really like such an incredible piece of writing and, and no surprise that he would go on to write the books that he would, that he would totally. write. Totally. Um, but that one blew, cause I had read, I'd read, I think I probably read yours first. Yours was probably the first one I read. Um, and I, I, and I love your, I love the Ween book. I've read other ones that I just didn't really, like I, the, the, I don't want to talk shit, but the, the fear of music one, like I didn't connect with as much. I mean, so they're just very 
they're very they're they're, they're real they're really they're very different. different they're all and, just and, I, and i'm not going to sit here and pretend i've read them all i probably read like 10 or 15 of them or something yeah. my my wills friend, wills read them all this is my library yes. just yeah every single one yeah my, my friend uh chris weingarten wrote a great one about public enemy and i'm i'm not a hip-hop expert but he went in there and like broke down every sample that they yeah. that they use in creating oh, that album cool. another, another I have, writer I, I have the in on the kill taker with me actually I haven't I've never read it I, I checked I out it. yeah that one's really cool too he did some yeah. uh, Joe Gross did some great interviews with the, with uh, Fugaz that was fascinating and and the one that I've read like multiple times is the uh, Slint Spiderland one oh, um, nice. that is like a real favorite album of mine and Scott Tennant um, that writer he he did some really cool stuff there he really excavated a lot of like because they, they did make a slint documentary a few years after that but scott right. really sort of like he went he went a little deeper into their history than had ever been you know because when i was growing up slint was a very mysterious band it was hard to find information about well, they them. kind of fit into that what you were in a lot of ways they i feel like they fit into what you were describing earlier um yeah 100 the slint, slint was huge dave for Pajo me. Seems, dave uh i don't know is that how you pronounce his name Pajo? He pa, seems yeah, to be, uh, he seems to be doing well. Like uh, I follow him on Instagram, and he's doing all these duets. And he did one with like he's doing them. He, he's he, his voice sounds incredible at this point. Yeah, so, yeah. I, him, yeah. I, I think he's kind of bouncing back, yeah, which is yeah. great to see. But yeah, um, yeah. So 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 the the the, the thirty three and thirds are everyone kind of has its own approach, and and you know I, I I intend to read more, but you know I've only read the ones I've read, but. You know, so basically, you know, you, you need to pitch them. You need to be like, this is the approach I would take to this record. Here's, you know, at the time I did it, it was kind of like, why do you think people will buy this? You know, there's it, kind of a, just a multi-layered, like, and I think that the year prior, or the, or the prior call for pitches, I, I, I pitched a, a Rush album. Rush is one of my, if not my favorite band. Um, and the, the, that, you know, I, that pitch they, they passed on. And, you know, I think after they passed on that, I started to think about, you know, what what would make sense here? Like what would what, you know, what what you know, and I started to think a lot about like the Ween fan community and just how the, how the, the, the passionate, you know, the super passionate fans. And I and like, I you know, as I sort of had said, I'd gotten more into I sort of filled in the gaps with Ween thanks to like some college friends, my friend uh, Zach Waldman, uh, who grew up in the New Hope area and was a super Ween fan. And we started nice. playing music together in uh, in college. And I really caught up on like White Pepper and Mollusk and uh, the country record and all that stuff. So I sort of filled in the gaps by then. And I, you know, I had a real fondness for Ween. And I don't know, I, something, you know, people, people were pitching a lot of stuff like, you know, super canonical classic rock, uh, classic indie rock, super like cool rock, critic type records you know um which i like a lot of those records but i don't i didn't feel like i had anything to say about about some of the more canonical stuff like i think as a writer i i kind of try to go where where everyone isn't you know like like if if, if, like like if enough people are on a topic i'm like they got that covered and that's that's great you know but 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 i kind of try to find the place to dig where maybe i could just kind of quietly occupy a little territory off to the side you know i'm not i'm not necessarily going after the right down the center you know try to interview kanye or taylor swift or something yeah. like that like yeah. like you know again like it's not it's not anything against it it's just like you have to go where your passion is that's where your best work is going to take place you know what I mean? so they so, they accepted the pitch they loved the pitch uh, and they were well, like yeah I, right 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I presumably, I mean, you know, again, like I think, I think there was a couple of email. They were like, oh, well, you, you made this cut, and then you made this cut. There were, you know, and then, and then, and then, yeah, they, they, eventually, I got an email that was like, we want to do this. I think there were like ten others or something around. Like each, each time it comes in like waves. There will be like ten or fifteen of them. So they accepted the pitch, and a big part of my pitch was that I wanted to. You know, whenever I do projects like this, my my goal is always, 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 always to talk to as many of the participants as I can talk to. Like I always want to do it like documentary style. All due yeah. respect to the way that other people have approached these books, people have done all different ways. But my, I am always, you know, if my view is if the person that I'm writing about is alive, I'm gonna, I want to talk to them. You know, I, 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 you know, their their take, I want their take to be at the center of it, and I can kind of fill in the narrative. But I, I really want to. Like a documentary or something, you know. Like I want. Hank, it's been an amazing resource for this podcast alone, just to be able to find the stories of how candy, uh, yeah, you know, came about. Like we just talked about that, I don't know, like four or five episodes ago. Yeah, it's like because they are they seem to be a quiet, elusive band who likes the story that they created for themselves and just let you know, people's imaginations run with it. So it was nice to get a bit of uh, truth or as much truth as they wanted to give you. Well, I, I will say that, I will say that, you know, for whatever like information of value that's in there, like I would credit it like 75% to Mickey. Um, he, you know, he and I had like an initial meeting and I, and I think he wasn't, you know, he wasn't quite sure about the whole thing and wasn't quite sure, you know, he's kind of like, who is this guy and, and blah, blah, blah. And there was a little bit of like, kind of there was a little bit of like getting to know one another at the beginning and this was through uh also super helpful guy greg fry who was the manager at the time um but eventually you know mickey did kind of come around and he was ex he was extremely generous with his time like we we, 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 we i mean we, we were we did like you know two or three hour phone calls like set, set you know several of you know several of those you know and it was really just like you know once it got to the songs it was just like every song it was like all right let's move on to the next song move to the next song you know he 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 gave me the, the whole backbone of the book was talking to him you know what yeah I mean? as anyone who's seen his interviews or talked to him he's absolutely hilarious he's super unguarded he's just like he's just like a guy you want to listen to talk you know what i mean yeah like, like, you know, as much as he's like mainly the guitar player and we, he's also kind of like the, in a way, he's kind of like the mouthpiece and the, the, almost like the mascot of, we, you know, he's really, he's, he's like, the balls. Yeah. He's the balls, right. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, uh, again, Greg, you know, Greg helped me out, you know, getting to Mickey and then like I said, you know, and, and Aaron, uh, you know, we, we did all those interviews over email, but he gave me really extensive answers and a lot to work with there. Another guy who was super helpful was Andrew Weiss, uh, mm -hmm. who's a lot for the, you know, in a way kind of the third member, core member and like a longtime producer and who I was also a big fan of because he played bass in Rollins band and and, the, right. and, and Gone, which was the uh, Greg Ginn instrumental band after Black Flag. Um, but Andrew Weiss, I went over to his house um, and he was just hilarious and just really down to hang out and talk and then you know i think i just went down the liner notes and tracked down every everyone that was in that was in there there was um you know claude this was the first ween record that claude appears on a couple tracks so we talked yeah, claude had some amazing quotes in that book 
yeah, he was super fun. And then like this guy, Stefan Saeed, who um, I don't have the credits right in front of me. I think he maybe plays on Buenos Tardes or something like that. Um, he was like the, fl- I think the flamenco guitar on that song. Yeah, something yeah. like that. I'm trying to, and, and you know, Pat Fry, who was Greg Fry's, uh, Greg Fry's wife who played drums on Baby Bitch. And then um, there's a couple other little like bit players. And then also Danny Clinch, who's like the great rock photographer who took the beautiful portraits on the inside uh, of them like fishing and stuff like that. Uh, I, I talked to like the designer who designed the cover, the guy who the, the guy who made the belt. Um, and, you know, yeah, I end- love that shit. I, I love that there's like a like this belt. Yeah. The story of this belt. Yeah, the story of the book. yeah, the story of the belt, and also the story of you know the, some of the outtakes for the I, you know the photographer I talked to, and you know in the end, as as I was very upfront about you know the the, the, the white whale is the model on the cover um, was I, I was never able to locate her, and and that was and that was through you know through putting out calls on the internet and stuff, being like hey you know if anyone knows, and you know I I, I got. Like, I, I feel like I got, like, one person away, but Ashley Savage, you know, kind of a generic name. Nobody really knew if it was her real name. Um, yeah. She has, like, an IMDb uh, page, and she was apparently in this, like, there's, like, this weird, like, uh, kind of like SNL. Like episode of something, yeah. Yeah, it's it's this, this guy did, like, a Seinfeld parody, um, and, and he's playing Kramer, and there's, there's like, a, there's like a diner <laughs> scene, and the, and the, and the waitress is apparently Ashley Savage, the same one. Um, and, but, but I just, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, if you have, if, if you're trying to track someone down who with it, with a fairly generic name and you don't really have leads, you know, that, so, so that was I don't kind think of that's the, her real name. I think that's pro- a fake name. Probably not. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's the one thing, like I, you know, my, I just kind of wonder if she'll ever, you know, pop up and do an interview about that. I mean, it probably was just another job you know, probably not that memorable for, for her. Um, and, and yet she was voted, was it Playboy Magazine, sexiest album cover of all time? I think, yeah, I think it was. It that, was an internet yeah. poll, so. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I, mean, I, I think besides, the internet poll. <laughs> yeah. I think besides, I think besides Ashley Savage, I think pretty much everyone who had either played on the record or who had anything to do with it. I was, you know, another, another key guy was Dave Ayers, who was their, um, who was their, either their manager or their, no, he was their A&R. I can't, I can't remember if he was their A&R or their manager, but he was the guy who like facilitated the Electra deal. Um, and he was just like so great, so funny and just really a lot of the inner workings of like how a band like Ween would have even got. And I also talked to, um, I also talked to oh God, Steve Robofsky, who was the guy at the label, who I think also ended up signing the Strokes. He was like a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, Tomato about. talked about that guy. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, so it was Did really interesting, cool like, shit. learning about their intersection with the, uh, their intersection with this, you know, this major label world. And, you know, as, as, as Ayers said, I think one of my favorite quotes in the book is when he says something like, you know, they got like $300,000 per album by just like turning over stuff they made on a four track, you know, like pure guava, you know, it was just like, they just made the stuff like in the, you know, in the, in the shack, in the pod that they were working in. Um, and, and, you know, Andrew Weiss would mix these four track tapes and they would hand it over. And that was the record, you know? And so a lot of what I was writing about was this period where, you know, 
chocolate and cheese, obviously they're kind of like stepping it up a little bit and they're moving into, um, you know, you know, they're, 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 it's, it, it all becomes a little more hi-fi. Like something like Freedom of 76 was like very different than, you know, but, you know, again, it's kind of weird because, you know, as Mickey pointed out, like, you know, the first Ween album has all live drums, you know, right. like, like Mickey plays drums on, on God Ween Satan. So there is a precedent for them having like a full, you know, and, and some songs on that record kind of end up sounding, you know, more hi-fi than uh, Pure Guava and The Pod. Um, yeah. But I, I was trying to kind of draw that distinction between, you know, if Ween is now a band that you go see like at major, you will see them at like Red Rocks and they're like this huge, like hi-fi, you know, like world-class rock band. I was like, how do we get from this like stoner four track thing to that? And to me, like Chocolate and Cheese was where that. Do you go to shows? Uh, do I now? Yeah, well, did you, what was uh, when was the first time you saw Ween? The first, I think I saw Ween. I, I believe I saw Ween maybe like first time like late high school. I think I did go see them then, um, and then I saw them in New York several times. Like I went to like a summer stage show, and when I was writing the book, I did go to a couple consecutive shows. I went to Denver. I, I did see a Red Rock show because I wanted to see them kind of in the full glory, and I saw them in yeah. like Albuquerque or something. I mean, but but again, I just want to stress like. You know, there was this, I think we were talking beforehand of like my level of Ween fandom, like, like <laughs> love the band, but I, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend <laughs> I've been to 40 Ween shows. I've been to probably 10, you know, right. I've been to probably yeah. 10, you know, I love the band, but I'm not, you know, I, I, I have not like followed Ween on tour or something like that, you know, like, like, so I think there's, when you're talking about a band where the fans are this passionate, you kind of have to like give a caveat about. Your own. That you're not you're not a real fan. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying to certain people who are su- yeah, it's just like the dead or fish or whatever. Like when you're you know we're talking about these communities, it's like some people might say that I'm not. You know what I mean? I but, but you know again, I, I tried to get as much of the story as I could from from the people who made it, and you know just filling in whatever I could fill in that would be help. I mean, you know, I, when I read the reviews of the book, a lot of people are they seem to like the quotes and they're like oh i don't know about the writing i mean and again th- we're talking about this is the first this is the first you know first time i'd ever done a project of this lane 33 and a third at that time at least it was you know i was kind of like i was kind of just uh taking a shot in the dark at this and just like i just kept writing till i finished and, and that was were you already at rolling stone at this point no 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 no, no. i was at uh i was at timeout new york at that time so after college i had sort of kicked around done some different jobs freelance uh, attempt for a while, then got I got a job at Time Out New York, and then I was eventually there for about ten years, working in different capacities, oh, wow. copy editing, but then eventually full time in the music department and the music editor at Time Out. Um, so it was written while I was working there. You know, really just kind of getting up early in the morning and working on the weekends, and just entirely outside the. I have a just like a business question. How did the book sell? Did it do well? I, like, I how don't. Does have, that, how does that I work? I don't have numbers, but I mean, I mean, I, I still do get, you know, occasional modest royalty checks from it. So I think people still, I think people still buy it. I mean, I think I, I, and Ween actually at the time, they bought a lot of them and were selling them uh, on their own site. Um, and I think it, at shows. So they, they got on board with it and like, and, and they were helping to, helping to, you know, and, and, and. And a couple of years ago, Mickey was doing a thing where he was like auctioning off some memorabilia. Um, he had like a little gallery show and, 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 and he, and he, you know, I brought him some copies there that he sold. So, you know, they, they, they've helped 
you know, they, they, they you know, they, it's not like a authorized biography, but they did get behind it. And, and, you know, at least I heard from Mickey that he was happy enough with it, that, that they were willing they to bring it help. around. Yeah. Well, that's um, good so that there was no, there was no bad, uh, bad blood after their, after the book came out. Not whatsoever. Like a, a not whatsoever. In fact, in fact, like I was able to through, through that friend, Zach, I was talking about, I was able to, we, we, I was, he was visiting his parents and I went up there and I did like a little in-store thing at this bookstore in New Hope. And the next night or something, we were like, you know, Zach, you know, obviously there's this, you know, mythos around John and Peter's, you know, the, 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 the bar they always play at. And like, we, um, we, we, I mean, I, it was, you know, Zach's like, you know, you will go to John and Peter's and we did. And Mickey was sitting there. Um, he was just in a, he was just in a booth at John and P. I mean, it was like, it was like almost like, it was almost comical because like, you know, these artists get associated. You know, it's not like you walk into like cafe Wa and like Bob Dylan is still sitting there. You know what I'm saying? Like, but, but, you know, but like he, he was there and, you know, and, and, and I, and again, like I said, I had met him, but most of our interviews for the book were over the phone. And so I just kind of went up to him and I was like, Hey, you know, Mickey, like I'm the, I'm the guy. Yeah. And, remember when we were doing those interviews, this is that book. And I handed it to him and he kind of was like polite, but I had no idea if he would ever look at it. And, you know, he right. eventually did read it and he did reach out and say that he was, you know, appreciative. He, he, he said in so many words, he said that he was skeptical of the idea at first of there even needing to be a book, but that when he read it, he was happy and felt, he, he was just happy that, that it existed. You know what I mean? And that, and that yeah. meant a lot to me that he, read it and that he said that and that and again that they that we kind of like as much as they could kind of got on board with it and helped to bring attention to it you know so so no it was it was fortunately you know knock on wood it was all positive you know once it was done and you know they they were they were real really cool about it mickey especially so hank you got some flack for your stereo gum article where where you run uh, where you rank all your Ween records yeah from from worst to best yeah um, and what what came in last and what came in first <laughs> well well it's um I I I one well, and well, only only and polar and poles he's, he's yeah. no no I think the I think like, like I'm, I'm one, I'm like, I'm, I'm happy to talk this stuff out, but I'm also, I also have no, I, I have no, there's no sense of this being anything other than my opinion. I mean, like, I, I, I probably could have been more objective about that thing, but yeah, I put, I put the country album last, um, I guess, because, you know, to me, uh, I, I guess, you know, I, I don't know. I, I that's not that the Ween album I reach for, you know, and I, I, and I think people get very attached to the, the idea of that album, that it, it being such a, cool fun thing that they did that which i agree it is amazing that they did that and it's awesome and, and probably in the years since that um oh the, i think this guy's saying sorry that i'm looking what, at the chat saying, yeah what rush album did you want to do oh it was moving pictures um which is not not necessarily like my favorite rush album but it it, it was the one that made the most sense because it's just kind of the most iconic so yeah it was moving pictures um but um the uh what were we talking about? Oh yeah, the rankings. Yeah, so 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 uh, the twelve gold country greats. Um, yeah, it's just not. It's 
like song for song, it's not my favorite, or at least it wasn't at the time. But then since then, you know, like Japanese Cowboy, you know, I mean, it's hard to, I, I, I mean, there's not a single one of those albums that I don't really you like could, a lot. If, we, if the three of us ranked them, you know, if we did another ranking each right yeah. now, we would piss what off. Are you guys, what are your guys' best and worst? So I, I, I don't know that I, I've never done them all the way. You know, I've never really even thought about it that way, but like, uh, I know if I did it, if I said it right now, I'd piss off a certain percentage of Ween fans. Of course, if I don't, just do if it. I, like, if I like, don't listen to the, I don't, you know. And the <laughs> thing, let's, let's do least best and worst. We gotta do, we right. gotta do favorite yeah. and least favorite. Favorite uh, and least. You, I'll go. I'll go first. You want me to go first? Yeah. Favorite I'm gonna put favorite. Mollusk at number one. Okay. Uh, it feels like a complete thought. Uh, I, I, it changed my life when I heard it. It was just like, wow, what a band. And least favorite. Hank, I'm I, I'm with you on Twelve Golden Country because anytime I have to write out a list of all the Ween albums, I'm like, wait, I'm missing one. And yeah, it's always Twelve Golden Country. Yes, yeah. it's like the outlier, and I uh, never, I never put it on. The mollusk, would, yeah. the mollusk would be up there for me, yeah. uh, but just to differentiate myself from Will Nunziata, I'll say Quebec is my favorite Ween record, uh, and I would say uh, La Cucaracha would be my least favorite. It's got two of my favorite object and your party are two of my like top. Your, part, your party is unquestionably one of the best Ween songs, which kind of like redeems it. Like for me, like my own bare hands, your party mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. and like one or two others. But the Cucaracha can be, there's moments of it where, I don't know, there's like w- woman and man. I don't know. I mean, it, it's so, so not my favorite, but but yeah, like you were Wait, saying, is Blue Balloon on that album. Blue Balloon op- is the second. Uh, is it? Is it uh, Fiesta and then yeah. Blue uh, Blue Balloon? Yeah. I mean, you I could. Agree, the thing is, like, what I was gonna say is, you we're gonna we piss off people no matter what. Like, yeah. Sure. But as you were saying, I mean, Hank, you're saying like, uh, you know, you you go back and you listen to like the oneness or even the like, and we've talked about this a lot on the on the podcast over the over the 17 years. Like I was, a, I came to the uh, the band a little bit later. Like I definitely knew about Push the Little Daisies, but I never owned Pure Guava when yeah. I was younger. I didn't like. I got into it like Chocolate and Cheese is really the record that like made me fall in love with Ween. Yeah. And uh, but then my favorite Ween songs are now songs from the Pod and and the Oneness and Pure Guava. Like my favorite Ween songs to see live are Frank, uh, you know. Uh, Spring theme, you know, the, the songs that are it's songs that don't sound anything when you see them live now. Yeah, with a full band. Yeah, and and with Kirk Miller sound and with like the lights totally. and the whole thing. No, that's they don't a sound whole different thing. Like, yeah. you know, they don't sound yeah. like they do on the pod. You know, I don't listen I like to Frank on the pod ever. Yeah, I like that. I, I agree with you. I like I like a lot of that stuff live better than I do the the super lo-fi versions. But yeah, like I just like to me like like Quebec and and White Pepper. Like once you get into that era of things. Like, I feel like it gets away from what, like, the kind of core ween obsessive really values about this kind of, like, brown concept. Mm. But, like, those albums to me, like, maybe that just speaks to my own taste, but, like, just the kind of emotional depth of those records, like, it's just kind of, like, it's like, whoa, you know what I mean? Like, like, like it, it just gets, like, so heavy. Like, 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 like emotionally. Like you said, you're, 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 you know, it's like, what's the, I have a a friend who's a chef and he was talking about wine. He's like, 
it's always good to eat food from the region where the wine is from, you know, like where the wine is made. And if you're like, you're 14 playing Mortal Kombat 2 getting stoned, yeah. listening to Pure Guava is a snapshot of like that period of the human experience. Yeah. Whereas Quebec yeah. is, the, is, is a grown man getting fucking divorced, which is much closer <laughs> yeah. to what I am now. Uh, yeah. I think they're all good. My, you know, things are fine. But yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. fuck, I've been kicked up into the fucking attic, but um yeah i mean it's just it's a different expression of the human yeah. experience that means more to me at this point yeah and, and we and were talking it, before we started yeah go ahead go ahead well no i mean i guess i was just saying like one is not better than the other but it's just like to see the the like i don't know i mean that's that's the tough thing about ween because some people are, are like like okay so like the sort of the the funny part of ween is always it, it obscures a lot of other things like for the people that mm-hmm. don't like ween the comedy, I think, really turns them off. For some people that really do like Ween, the comedy they gravitate towards, but it sometimes obscures, like, the other side of Ween. And, and I think, to me, like, Ween is all about this, like, very strange, like, sometimes uncomfortable meshing of those two things. And, like, this kind of thing where, like, like on Chocolate and Cheese, like, going between those moods without really, like, helping you along at all, it's just, yeah. like, you're going to have to listen to, you know... The HIV song, I'm I'm blanking on the track listing, but like the HIV song right near, you know, what Dina was talking about or Baby Bitch or something like that, or like Candy, like they send you a lot of mixed signals and they don't help you at all to like decode them. You know what I mean? You're going to get the chocolate and you're also going to get the cheese. Sometimes (laughs) you don't want them together. Well, yeah. And I think, and I think for a lot of people, the comedy can be a turnoff. The comedy can be like... It can be all they like, you know, but like, I guess to me, like the, the key to it, like, I think, you know, comedy and music is a whole can of worms because it can yeah. like obscure what else is there. You know, I think, I think, you know, me personally, like I Zappa is someone I've had a hard time really digging in with because I don't find the funny Zappa funny, you yeah. know, so it, so it obscures the other stuff, but that's not to say I like a lot of Zappa, but ween stuff that i that is funny i do think it's funny i do like for me personally my own bare hands i happen to think it's funny it's it's just like super over the top you're gonna get a master's degree in fucking that's (laughs) like the greatest little like not a bad line (laughs) (laughs) the idea of a cock cock professor is just the funniest (laughs) it's also because because mickey like just he just like lets himself inhabit that character when he's singing it and just like totally there's no like he doesn't break character he's not like oh i'm just kidding yeah. like he's like he just is that person when he's delivering that or like it's going to be a long night or some of the other super aggro kind of ween songs um yeah. but i guess what i'm saying is like yeah quebec it's like definitely edging more into the comedy is 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 kind of you know, moving a little bit away from center stage and, and seeping into center stage is like this heavy, heavy, heavy. I don't know what you want to call it. It's just like some of the and greatest. Most, uh, most people are not okay. Is it, yeah, know, exactly. Happy colored marbles. Like it's 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 some it's some of the most like in terms of this whole like continuum of like psychedelic pop or whatever you know stretching from like Floyd to the Beatles to the Flaming Lips to like whatever is the whole tradition of that. Like I think you could put Quebec the best moments of Quebec up against any of that. Like 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 really and truly like 
like these songs like Tried and True or like um, Chocolate Transdermal. Town. A transdermal celebration. Yeah. And, and, and the song that this, the, the songs towards the end, I mean, to be honest, like, I feel like I have to like take a deep breath to even put them on. Like, like, like yeah. I don't want it. Mm. And uh, if you could save yourself. Yeah. Those two songs in particular, like, which are really, when you get down to the it, those Argus. are really just, yeah. Yeah. Unfucking believable. Those are really, you know, when you get down to it, those are Aaron's songs. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, you know, you start to see what's really an Aaron song. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, because, you know, when you listen to Freeman, you can see that Freeman is, is in a way a sequel. I almost feel like it's like more a sequel to Quebec. Like, it's like they're, they kind of yeah. win in this weird place with Kukaracha. I mean, so I, if anyone's listening to this, by the way, I don't know how many people are, but if anyone's listening to this and has not heard the Aaron Freeman solo album just called Freeman, like, please listen to that. Because, like, yeah. honestly, like, it's, it's I, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say it's as good as any we know. I, I will I will come out and say that. I think it is. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I agree. You won't hear any arguments from me. I mean. Yeah, I think uh, on the podcast we once called uh, the last two tracks of Quebec the, uh, the Jordan Pippin of the Ween catalog. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> that's topical. That's good and topical. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, what is? Wait, so the last track is you can save yourself. Oh, What's the second yeah, to last? Argus. Track? Argus. Oh, Argus is okay. Yeah, just yeah. oh my God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the wait, last like side God. side D of that record. Is, oh my God. Yeah, that's yeah. the that's the best. Jesus Christ. And and yeah, and and, and white. I mean, it starts to go there on White Pepper too. Mm-hmm. I mean, like um, like um, she's your baby. And and uh, exactly where I'm at, and you know, what White Pepper is really way up there too, because it's just like you play that thing, and there's not like a weak moment on that. No, yeah, we we talked about it last. You know, the anniversary, the 20th anniversary, just came and went. And yeah. actually, the one uh, our producer Mikey actually wrote a really good article, or just a, a, a kind of review and celebration of it. And and but there was one on Stereo Gum actually. I saw where, that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the guy, the guy who I, I like that writer actually, but. Um, it was interesting because it parallels to like chocolate and cheese about like, you know, Ween fans, some Ween fans being like it being too produced or too stylized or too. Um, and I, for me, it's like White Pepper was the first record I bought in store the day it came out. Mm-hmm. It, it was, and it, and it, there wasn't, and again, I can't, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't listening to Pure Guava, you know, when it came out, but I, um, so you know, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't as brown as some folks were coming up, but you know, for me, it's like, I, when I listen to White Pepper, like I'm, there's no, I, there, I have trouble conceiving any ideas about like authenticity or selling out or, you know, it just is a fucking beautiful record. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and like, like you put it up against yeah. any, you know, any Beatles rap, any Beatles the record. Comic, the, the, the sort, like, like the funny stuff is really funny, but it doesn't like take you out of this kind of like spacey mood of the whole thing. You know, like yeah. like even like Bananas and Blow, like it's so well produced and it's so like beautiful well, sound. Handy, Handy Fackler comes close. No way. Well, Walks the line. Well, Walks the line. Uh, Sucking dicks really under close. the promenade. Sucking dicks under the promenade is one of the but, 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 but the thing is, like, if they didn't, if they didn't throw that one thing at you that that almost spoiled the mood, then it wouldn't be a Ween album. You know what I mean? Right. Like, then, people could, then people could fucking complain about selling out. That's yeah. like their signature. Their signature move is they're always going to put like some like sort of like stink bomb in there that's going to like yeah. you know it's going to test like, you it's it'll test you as a fan kill whatever like vibe you're on they're going to like kill the vibe you know um so we're hitting our time um i got one more question paul um 
Shoot, well, was there like uh, are there any stories that you left out of the book that just that were cool, but that just didn't fit um, the story you were telling? That's a good that you can think of question. I I I'd have to look back through the transcripts. They're probably like swimming around in my hard drive somewhere. I don't I don't remember. I don't remember that anything really funny or cool or interesting was told to me that I did not put in there. I think I probably, again, like privileged their words over my own, you know, like, mm -hmm. like probably if you look at the word count, like half that, at least half that book is filled up with quotes, which is how I wanted it to be. Right. Um, I do not recall anything that like made me laugh or made me like say, holy shit, or made me like, remark in any way like it's it's definitely i would say it's definitely in there you know um i'm sure you know almost everything mickey says is entertaining so i'm sure mm -hmm. there are things in the transcript but there wasn't like some anecdote or like oh i really wish i had included that like episode or something like that so yeah i'd have to say hank release the tapes people are calling for the transcripts people want it I'm gonna file a freedom a freedom of information act to get freedom of seventy six information act. Yeah. Um. Hank, thanks so much, man, for spending time. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. It's it's nice. It's just nice to have like a you know non quarantine related conversation. And I didn't get to any of my questions about Rolling Stone, but. Very quickly, is it anything like the film Almost Famous? <laughs> is your life anything like that movie? I, I don't think so. Um, no, no. It's, you know. He's not fucking 12, Will. <laughs> Look, so he's no, got a baby it's, face. It's not, it's not, it's no, it's not like Almost Famous. It's, it's, it's great though. It's really cool. I mean, I, I, yeah, um, you know, my, my byline's there and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm mainly an editor, but I write as much as I can. So you can find my stuff there. And also that I, I plugged the podcast before, but heavy metal bebop. Yeah, let's talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah, let's, let's talk about, talk about it. I oh, Mike, saying, we got the God, we got God producer. Mike, <laughs> God, oh, talk about I was it. talking before about the whole intersection of jazz and metal thing, or kind of, you know, finding continuity between genres and that particular overlap has always been interesting to me because I've been a huge fan of both those styles of music. So this is a, it's a podcast about, the kind of the weird overlaps and, and kind of, you know, how one influences the other, you know, for example, I had Bill Ward from Black Sabbath talking about how he, you know, basically his entire childhood was, you know, influenced by jazz. And that's, that's how he got his start as a drummer is uh, imitating Gene Krupa. And then I talked to Jan Hammer, who was in the Ma Vishnu Orchestra. It was sort of like one of the prototypical, like bringing heavy rock and like high level jazz together. And, you know, there's a lot of younger musicians in, in Brooklyn and, around here these days who are like, you know, like death metal bands who improvise or, you know, just, just, just yeah. like looking for these, there's, there's kind of like 50 years worth of this it's, weird intersection between jazz and heavy metal. And I've tried yeah. to like explore that in different That's ways. That's amazing. You know? I gotta check it out. I never, the like instrument soundtrack is a jazz record. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, and I've never yeah. really, you know, like I, I never thought of it as a jazz record. Well, and now, and now they've got the, I mean, I saw the, uh, the uh, aesthetics play at a, jazz festival with a jazz saxophone player uh, and also in that guitar player anthony pirog that they play with is a, is a jazz musician so yeah like uh, all you know I, I love all that stuff and you you were yeah. talking about tortoise before obviously mm -hmm. there's a there's a lot of crossover there you know i'm, I'm just kind of interested in those you know the you know when when people move between those worlds you know someone like vernon reed who 
you know, has been on the podcast as well. You know, uh, yeah, that's an amazing know, so episode. Voice of God again. Uh, brings you straight you. into uh, decoding society with yes. uh, Ronald, Ronald Shannon, Shannon Jackson. That is wild stuff. Hell yeah. 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 Hell, hell the yeah. podcast is heavy metal bebop. Yeah, the interviewer is Hank Steamer. Check it out wherever podcasts are good. <laughs> I think it's wherever they are. Yeah, it's on it's on uh, Apple and wherever else, Spotify. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I well, um, I'll be over to finish the puzzle and we'll listen to <laughs> uh, we'll listen Put to on some Dead Seventy Seven. Yeah, I appreciate and, uh, your guys' time. This is I appreciate your interest and your time. And I, this book was written like nine years ago, so it's nice to still be talking about it. Oh, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's such a, a resource. It's such a resource for Ween fans, and I think yeah. it's the fact that it exists to capture this. Like, it goes back to what we, we were talking about, kind of throughout, of like what punk is, and like you know, I, I oftentimes describe. You know, I'm I interact with various people throughout the, my life that don't know that I, you know. I mentioned that I have a Ween podcast, and they don't know what Ween is, and they're like, "What is it?" I was like, "It's kind <laughs> of a punk, it's a punk band that like kept going." Um, yeah, <laughs> kept evolving, and and now it's they're everything. I mean, they've kind of yeah, they're right. It's like yeah, it's it's like you can't you you can't hear just one song. You can't hear just one album. It's just like this whole weird like I don't know. It's like yeah, chocolate and cheese is a punk record. I mean, right? What's that? Chocolate and cheese yeah. is a punk record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. It's it's like more punk than most punk, probably because yeah. it's 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 like you know. Uh, but yeah, I think. You help, you know. Anyway, this is the book, by the way, which yeah. I think this is my only copy. I th they, they have it. I think you can get it on Amazon or wherever else. So if you're interested, it's it's all there. Hank, we all have the copies, but I'm in quarantine at my in-laws, and I didn't <laughs> bring it with me. Otherwise, I'm uh, holding yeah. it up right now. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. So maybe you can get the ebook. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny. We're all like quarantined. The book. We're all quarantined in different places. We're not. None of us oh, are in Brooklyn. We're all like, oh, I don't have my book. Yeah, it's like shit. Uh, Mikey, yeah, Mikey's here. got Mikey, this. There, there you go. Here, yeah. Do you usually tape this thing in in uh, in one room? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, at least the podcast. Yeah, these are these YouTube things are all new for quarantine. But okay. yeah, we always record in one. We all live in Brooklyn. Uh, oh, cool. But me too. So yeah, yeah. I have to come by. Yeah, you can talk to Evan. Just a bunch of dudes yeah, with beards. Just a bunch of dudes with beards in We have a yeah. lady. There's one lady. We have a girl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we have a lady. Uh, thanks, Hank.
This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at osirispod.com.